You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to another in the series of Trowers and Hamlins podcasts. Rethinking Regeneration, and no better a person for us to talk to than Patricia Brown, Director of Central. Hi, Patricia. Hello, Patricia. For those of you who don't know Patricia, Patricia, I would say, is the queen of regeneration. You've been doing regeneration for as long as I've known you, and, that, and, and long before that as well. So I'm really interested in your view of what is regeneration. Okay. I want to throw in another word as well, if I may, which is yeah. renewal. Because a large part of what I've done in the past 25 years, I would call renewal. There is some regeneration in the work that I've done. But I think sometimes regeneration is a a much misunderstood word to begin with. And renewal sits more comfortably with certain places, say the work I've done in in London, in central London. That wasn't regeneration when we were doing the business improvement Mm. districts. Uh, It was renewal of the urban fabric. But to your specific question about what is regeneration, for me, it's a targeted set of interventions that are applied in a consistent way, a joined-up way, uh, with a long-term plan, certainly a medium to long-term plan, that is focused on the needs of a particular area. So rather than coming in with a cookie-cutter approach to changing a local area, it's people coming together and thinking, what do we need to do to improve, to develop this area, to bring it forward and to make positive change happen for both the physical and hopefully, and and this is always problematic, the social regeneration of that place. And actually, picking up on that last point, which is going slightly off piece, but we ran a round table recently um, and one of the big conversations there was that regeneration was what happens outside the red line of redevelopment, not inside the red line of redevelopment. So it's your point about social impact um, and that true regeneration should have a social impact. Otherwise, it isn't really regeneration. Do you think that's right? Because it's Completely, yeah. absolutely. You know, I think that's been one of the problems about London over the past 25 years. There's been a lot of... Um, of work that's gone on but actually for the most part it's been redevelopment or renewal um, so I as you will know from the work we've been doing together on London 3.0 I think of the work that happened post the urban renaissance task force when we we achieved the urban renaissance and we forgot to say when and and what I mean by that is because there was a huge emphasis on place-based interventions which has actually made London in lots of areas unaffordable mm. to men- most Londoners, not many Londoners, but, but a, huge, a huge number of Londoners. And it didn't take those communities with them because there was a need to build homes or a desire to place capital and build homes, which were then going to supply the affordable housing that was so desperately needed in London. But what it's brought forward is development, and it didn't bring forward a social regenerative benefit to the communities around them. And that way lies gentrification, not regeneration. And and I'm picking up on that point. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Regeneration, you could say, has not been a focus of governments 
uh, for quite some time. Or it's certainly not been a word that governments have used for quite some time. But it now seems to be coming back on the agenda. I mean, it, it, over the past 12 months, it's been a, a roller coaster ride, and you, know, you never quite know what's on the agenda in a sense. But it does seem to be coming more back into being something people are prepared to talk about. Why do you think that is? Well, I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? It's actually been a bit of a dirty word in some quarters and certainly some political parties. There's some local authorities that I'm working alongside that don't actually have a regeneration officer. They desperately need somebody to work alongside their development, uh, the development opportunities to get inside and really make those development opportunities truly regenerative. But that it's been an un undesirable word because um, it's seen as too interventionist and, and it is allied as, as you're hinting at with that gentrification word. But for me that's partly because this regeneration is a long-term game. It's like creating an ecology which has constantly got to be monitored and too frequently developments that are meant to be renewal, regenerative to improve areas and make change happen, happen, and then people walk away, move away, and they move on to the next thing. So they're not managing that eco ecology, and I think that's absolutely vital that we actually make sure that the interventions are, are done in a way, and over a period of time, right, with the right people involved, to make the actual impact a truly positive impact, as opposed to an excluding impact. So, looking, I mean, you've sort of, you've sort of answered this question in a way, but, but in your opinion, what are the sort of the key, the fundamental challenges to creating a successful major regeneration project? Because I mean, regeneration projects, as we know, can take all sizes, um, but to be a major regeneration project, what does a successful one look like? Well, I think that differs in every area or most most areas, and I think that goes back to one of my earlier points, which is that. We have to look at the needs and the conditions and what is around. So it's like putting a meal together, isn't it? We've got to have lots of different ingredients. And it's all very well making a particular, trying to make a particular meal. But if you actually don't have some of the basic ingredients, then it's, going to, um, it's not going to be very edible. And that's what regeneration is. So, so it's the most important thing is making sure that the right ingredients are there. Um, I'd say stage one is the right leadership. And for me, it doesn't matter whether the leadership is up initially from the private sector or the community or the public sector. It's having people who got the, the energy and the vision and the drive to bring the right people together and build, develop the trust uh, in order to then be able to work collaboratively towards that vision. Crucially, it has to be long-term. And having the resources in order to really manage that, going back to my ecology, manage that over a period of time and ensuring that the resources are matched so it's no good having lots of resources coming in from the private sector if there isn't a local authority um, officer group to support that that sort of yeah, energy yeah. and drive so they're some of the fundamental ones but you know besides money and land and a whole host of things they're they're critical for me so looking turning our attention to london because obviously your your um, big initiative is london 3.0 mm -hmm. uh, 
how, what would you say, I mean, looked at your generation in London for the past few decades, what, are the pri- what would you say the priorities are now for the capital in terms of that regeneration agenda? Well, you know, Sarah, you've been so supportive of this, is largely London 3.0 came about because of what I was saying earlier about seeing the, the change in London and the positive change not really having a positive impact on the lives of Londoners and the conditions of, of London changing dramatically. You know, we have been very successful in, in, in uh, leveraging foreign direct investment and capital but it hasn't really touched the sides of, of Londoners' lives. So the regeneration agenda for me is ensuring that the whatever happens in London now does go beyond that red line, because you're absolutely right, regeneration happens beyond the red line. Or in areas where there's a state renewal, actually within the red line, but in the long term. So if you think about a lot of the estate, a lot of the regeneration partnerships that are going on at the moment, it is a state renewal where developers are working with housing associations and local authorities. So it's how do you ensure what is place for, which are a mix of private and public tenancies and own occupation, is actually not going to exclude communities and you build balanced communities within it. So that is one of the critical things for me. And do you think, I mean, everywhere is different and we know that, um, and we always look at London as being a very different beast in some ways Mm -hmm. from some of the other cities uh, for various reasons, but do you think regeneration is, the challenges of regenerating in London are different from those in other cities? It depends on whether you're talking about challenges or opportunities, because clearly there are opportunities because there are more... um, there's more private sector players who understand regeneration, I think, and understand their role within within the regenerative framework and have actually led in lots of ways. I think the, the biggest challenge for London is land values and, and how we square that and how we get the right level of, of the of public housing or social housing and true social housing within that. But I think the other thing is is lack of land. You know, where can we build this sort of thing? We're going back to you know brownfield again, and redoing some brownfield. And I, you know, I, I worry about the way some local authorities, uh, who will remain nameless, are actually using a lot of their own land in order to do infill blocks to, in order to build council housing. It's a laudable idea, but it's actually cutting against the agenda of trying to give people more walkable green spaces. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest challenges is we're trying. We need London to do too much, and and it's you know it's it's really hard to actually make all of those priorities work. Yes, London's trying to fulfil a number of roles, and yeah. actually it's it is actually finite. It's not infinite. We've got to be really careful that we don't drain it too much in a way. I mean, again, looking at the in recent years or the recent probably couple of years, the government's focus on the levelling up agenda, and at the moment we still have it. it mm. It's it's still there, albeit not quite as prominent as it was under the previous prime ministers. But again, how do you see that fitting? I suppose how does that see that fitting with regeneration, and how does that fit, or it may not fit, with London three point zero? I mean, I think that's an interesting point. Is is do we think that is it is in competition to something like London three point zero? You know, so levelling up is is problematic because we have stripped 
yeah. local authorities to the bone. And we need people to be able to work alongside communities, alongside the private sector, and to be able to be um, quality partners with the private sector that might be around in order to bring to bring those resources to bear in local areas. There is an issue about not having enough um, private sector capital yeah. In, yeah. in different parts of the capital, in, in different parts of the countries. And therefore I think that sets us up against London because people look at London and and the government, you know, the government especially like to play this card, don't they? They sort of set London up against um, mm-hmm. the rest of the country. That really points to the issue of devolution. And if we got devolution right, and if we actually had devolved budgets and devolved powers, then hopefully we wouldn't be in this competitive environment that we seem to be at the moment. I was at an event a couple of months ago, back in December, it was a London Society and Dave Hill event, which was looking at whether London should be its own private state. And I made the point that everyone was talking about how London needed to make the case against the regions. And I made the point that if we were in Spain or if we were in France, you know, we wouldn't be having this mm. conversation because they understand there is a capital that brings benefits and has a function. But because, because there's so much devolution in terms of layers of government in, in those countries, they don't have to fight. They don't see yeah. themselves in competition. So I guess, in a way, London 3.0 is my homegrown initiative to say London needs healing too, but it's not at the expense, you know, I'm a mm. scouser for God's sake, it's <laughs> not at the expense of, of anywhere else. It's actually getting people to turn back in on the issues that we, we started to address in London in the late 1990s through the work I did at Central London Partnership and recognise that the world has changed and we need to rethink the, the, the strategies and the approaches, the actions and the shared um, vision that we, um, for the next step, set of those challenges. But we need that everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it isn't yeah. an either or. Yeah. And lastly, I think it, it sort of does run on from that, is we know that the public sector, in lots of, the, of its forms, um, it, has in some cases been stripped to the bone, in other cases is clinging on, but is not awash with cash, shall we say, and unfortunately has lost some good people because of the cuts and everything else. Do you see, or do you think the private sector should perhaps play a slightly bigger role in bringing forward some of these regeneration sites, or bringing forward ideas on regeneration, uh, rather than necessarily, we talk about the public-private partnership a lot, but in actual fact, sometimes it's, it's we, we need the, the public sector to do an element, but should the private sector be driving a little bit more, bit more harder about what they think needs to be done? Yes, if they're the right private sector, yeah. um, with the right scheme in the right place and the right leadership, because the private sector isn't code for um, brilliance yeah. in all of this. And sometimes actually people get a little bit too starry-eyed about the private sector. This is about people being around the table who are fit for purpose, and there's some, you know, people like to point to King's Cross because of the leadership that Roger brought in, Roger Madeline brought in to begin with, you know, the levelling up agenda once however many King's Crosses without the recognition yeah. that there aren't many opportunities like that falling off trees. And, and so absolutely there needs to be the role of the private sector, but the role of the private sector has to be 
from um, that point that I keep coming back to, which is what does that area need and how do they play their part and how do they build the trust and, and put the right level of skin in the game um, to bring communities and the local authority alongside them. It goes back to what I was just saying earlier about leadership. Leadership can come mm. in different guises, wear different cloaks, um, but absolutely there is a role for the private sector. I would like to just say one thing on that, yeah. actually, which is to, to and just emphasising the point. You know, as you know, um, I led in Central London Partnership the establishment of the bids movement into the UK. And I look at some of the things that are going on in bids now and finding some of them wanting because there's actually not necessarily a good enough understanding in the private sector about what bids truly are. So therefore they're doing their version of a bid. Mm. And, and so it's how do we constantly educate ourselves as a, as a sector, as a regeneration and development sector that wants the best for our places. Um, and that, I think, goes full circle to what yeah. London 3.0 is about, actually. You know, how do, we, how do we educate, inform, support people to have the right skills, the right vision, the right leadership uh, in this complicated world to get what we want? Thank you so much, Pat. That was that was brilliant. And um, all I can say to, to those people listening is watch this space for more on London 3.0 because lots more will be coming. Um, it's a great topic. There'll be uh, plenty more podcasts coming out from Trouts and Hamlins. So for now, it's goodbye for myself, Sarah Bailey, senior partner at Trouts and Hamlins, and goodbye from Pat Brown. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.